Hi, my name is Hani Musalam. I am going to do a little bit of a presentation about um, an API that I added onto a little website that I had put together for a friend of mine. So um, I am a beginner, so if you see something that is blatantly wrong, please withhold the axe, you know, put away the guns, and we can talk about it in just a few minutes and I can figure out how I misstepped. Sound good to everybody? So the website in question is called um, indexbygoogle.com. A friend of mine runs a, uh, a company called Slipfire. He does a lot of WordPress websites. And his clients um, are always going to him as like, has my latest blog post been indexed? Has my latest article been indexed by Google? And he turned to me and he's like, there's got to be a better way instead of just going to Google and typing in the web address and seeing what comes up with the results. And the result was that was a little website that I put together through Python CGI the first time around um, called indexbygoogle.com. You just simply put in a URI, click go, and it comes back with a result. Uh, yes, it is indexed. It's indexed and cached. Here's the cache URL. Um, so I redid the website in Django, and I was looking at it, and I thought it would be cool if I added an API like that. Now, it's a single-function website, so it's a single-function API. There's only one API call. It returns a JSON result with, with whether it's indexed or not, and if it is indexed, whether it's cached or not, and whether it includes the cache URL. So the reason I did that is I'm still a novice, I'm still learning, and I just wanted to know whether I could put it together. That's basically, you know, the mountain is there, I wanted to climb it and see if I could. So my biggest challenge was trying to figure out how I can return JSON instead of HTML. Um, I wasn't ever going to touch XML. I hate XML, XML. I'm still too much of a beginner to even dive into XML. I, oh, I'm always looking for functions that take XML and change it into a Python data type without me having to do anything. But so in this example, I didn't want to touch XML at all, so it had to be JSON, and that's easy because Python comes with simple JSON, the greatest JSON library in the world. And um, I came across the answer I'm trying to do next here. There it is. When I was reading a blog post by uh, James Bennett, who runs b-list.org, which and he's, he writes a lot of... Um, Django-related articles, and one was about using Ajax with Django, and here he comes up, when that's where he talked about when you want to just simply return a, a dictionary, instead of to a, 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 a template, you want to return it to, um, to JSON, to JavaScript, you return it as HTTP response, you, you uh, serialize the dictionary, and you give it a mime type of application JavaScript. That's exactly what I needed. And so uh, the next step was creating a URL pattern, a URI, a pattern for um, the API. And you'll notice there's a single function website, so the root goes right into my index function, which returns a web page result. The API goes right to my API function, which does the same thing, but it doesn't render to a page. Instead, it just does a response of a JSON response back. So that's the, R, uh, that's the index that goes, and that's the function, which you can't really see. Oh, that's terrible. And then here's the API call, and it gives you the function, which you can't really see here either. But it's almost exactly the same as the index function. The only difference is, uh, instead of render to response, I have HTTP response, and it, turns, and it serializes the, the dictionary uh, and returns that. I wish I could, you guys could see that. Let's, take, let's move forward. Oh, and there was one last thing. So I return errors. I don't know if you can see it right over here, but I have a red box around a particular line I wanted to highlight. So one of the cool things that I discovered along the way was it's, a, it's, a, it's a, once again a single function website that it has a form, right? 
So I subclassed the form, you know, forms.pi, and I had the form, uh, form class. The cool thing about Django is if you have a form class, it does a lot of error checking for you, depending on the field that you specify in the form class, right? So the field here is for a URL field, and it came with a whole bunch of error checking, making sure that, first of all, the URL actually does exist, it's uh, done correctly. So all of that functionality comes with the form class. It's really cool. Didn't have to code that myself at all, and I did have to code it myself when I did it as a Python CGI app the first time around. But the cool thing is when I did the API, I did the exact same thing. Um, the, the, the code is almost exactly the same. It's a get, so the, U, the API calls a get call, and you do um, URL equals and the URI that you specify. And then I simply, you can't see it here, but I do, you know, check URL form request.get. So I take that URL um, in, the, in the API call, and I put it right into, in the and it's in the request, put it right into the form, and then I get all that error checking right into it. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to do the error checking from an HTML form. As long as you have the form class, you can just put the request.get into the form class, and then you get all the error checking. And if errors were generated, then I serialize the errors and return them as part of the JSON call. The only stumbling block that I came across was that the errors are HTML. They have HTML coding around the errors, and I could not figure out a way to just get the text out of those. I had to finally revert to, I could either use beautiful soup and extract the text out of them, but it seemed overkill. I just um, took the whole HTML as a string and I locked off the front and locked off the back, counted how many characters I needed off the front and back and ended up with the text, um, ended up with the actual text of the error string. And then I just serialized that and sent that back if uh, an error, if I needed to return an error. Am I speaking too quickly? How are you guys doing so far? So what I realized after is that um, these are lessons learned, I guess. This is what I realized. This is what I walked away from my experience with. Your API should mimic your web app structure. And I think the bottom line here is that if there is a form in your web app, then there should be an API for that form also. Because anything that, I think for the API, you want um, interaction on the back-end side that's going to mimic user interaction on the front-end side, right? If I want to create a new record on the website, there would be a form to create that new record with. So there should be an API call to create a new record. That really makes it easy in Django, I feel, because now you can just have forms, and you can map your API to your forms, and you have all the error checking that comes with Django, boom, right in your API. So, and um, look to your URLs API for structure to mimic. Any URL that's up with the form should also be an API. So I guess these are just um, variations that that one lesson. And the Django form class to simplify error handling for your APIs. This part was so cool when I realized I could do this because I was actually just stumbling along writing my, my uh, index, my API function, when I realized, I was like, wow, this looks like a, a lot like my index function. And I'm like, it could, it's exactly like my index function. I, obviously, I have two different functions right now. That's not really the case in my the development where I'm developing it. It's actually going to get condensed into one function because, you know, dry, do not repeat yourself. And there's a lot of repetition here. But I'm happy to have started out this way, repeating a lot of stuff, because I, a lot of stuff became obvious to me. Uh, but now I can factor it out, uh, refactor it, you know, put everything to one big function, and uh, just simplify the code base without any repeat. I think it'll be actually more complicated, but also simpler. So the question is, what kind of errors is Django trapping for in this form? Um, if the URL, if you submit a URI that doesn't really exist, if you misspell the URI, 
if you leave the field blank, these are all errors that Django will catch and return an error for you. So I, I guess the reason I um, you can always subclass the um, validation process to get better Absolutely. You can absolutely subclass the validation process and do that. Django lets you do that. It's really easy to do. I didn't do that. It was really simple. It's just one line. It's, it's a form with only one field, but you can totally do that. Another thing to keep in mind is um, if you have multiple fields, then you could have multiple errors. I only have one field, so I'd only ever get one error back. So when I was stripping that text message out of the HTML code for, to serialize it, that was easy. You know, I could just index zero to get that first error, and I've got it. But if you have multiple fields, then you're going to have to parse through every single field and make sure every single, and you pull out the error for every single one if there is an error for every field. And let's see what's next. Okay, so now I am ready for any comments, questions. Lauren? I did look at it. It seemed a little bit overkill. Like I said, it's a single function website. It's just, and it doesn't, I don't use any models. It's, uh, it's a Google call. I, it's, I use the Google REST API, uh, the, the JavaScript REST API uh, to go to, and I pull the, the, the results live and I parse them. So I don't use any models. And it seemed a little bit like overkill to use it. But I did look at it. I don't know that much about it yet. Justin? Uh, one more that you could do for the filtering of yeah. the um, stripping the, the HTML that. is you can import all of the template, template filters. There's one in there called strip tags. Okay. You just strip out all the HTMLs. That's great. Thank you very much. I have to remember that. You can strip. Any, any of the template tags and filters you can import um, and just use them, like, especially the filters, use them as a function. There's one called strip tags that will remove all the so the template tags are usually used uh, in the template itself, right? But here, everything is done on the back end because I'm going to strip the code out, and then I'm not going to send it to a template at all. I'm just going to send raw JSON back to the user who requested it. Right. The, Can I still do that? The filters are just functions. That oh, just functions. Free. Okay. Yep. Perfect. So I use, like, the Slugify function a lot. Okay. Um, making text pictures and things like that. So you can definitely do strip tags. Strip tags. Thank you. Any additional questions or comments? Yes, sir. I was going to say one thing, but if um, you are really interested in building APIs for yourself, if you go to YouTube, Josh Block, who built the Java API and PHPs and basically APIs, he has an hour lecture on how you should plan to build your APIs and things in the web world in the kitchen. Okay, and what was that again? Because I don't think it might have heard you. I'll have to repeat it. If you look for Josh Block. Josh Block. Right, and then um, API. API at YouTube, and there should be an hour lecture. That sounds terrific. So no more feedback? I mean, there's got to be so, more feedback. Uh, Sean. One more. One, one got you there. So I liked your recommendation that uh, any form you have should match up to an API call. I think that's that, that if you're, especially if you start going down the REST path, I think that usually is going to be a good way of checking yourself that you're, you're modeling stuff appropriately. Because generally, if you do CRUD, you're going to have a form, which means you should have a put an API call. One thing, though, I that I personally would probably stay away from as you try and scale this up to a larger, more complicated API, is having the exact same URL that you're submitting to handle both your API and your forms. Um, at least for me, usually when you get beyond just, okay. You know, so, so you'll notice I have a, a yeah, that, the index and then I have the API. Going to, so I think it was in your list of recommendations. Right. right there, um, that, that's where I got that from. So. So my, I, well, or what I realized after, yes. and URL the submissive should also be an API. Okay, so that's completely, that is not what I wanted to say there. I only <laughs> wanted to say that any URL that submits a form 
should also have a URL. There should be an API call for that form is what I meant to say for that third bullet there. But thank you, Sean. That's an excellent point. Yeah. Any additional input? Well, based on the, on the level of input here, I have to say I'm feeling a little bit good about myself. And that's, <laughs> that's a new feeling when it comes to coding. Uh, Justin? I'm just curious how, you're gonna, how you thought about implementing the, um, making it more dry in terms of Well, if you take a look, you see this function. I, it's hard to see, I know. You know what, why don't I, uh, is it okay if I use SSH to go in and yeah, look at sure. stuff? Uh, the, uh, the blue thing there is an SSH client on the doc. The blue the thing, third the third icon, this one? Yep. Uh, just take a How do I do control break on a Mac? Control C? Uh, is it the. It's, there's a control key, it's just in a different place. Okay, so now I need to. Okay, never mind. Um, All right, so can you guys see that? So you'll notice there's index. That's the root. That's if somebody's visiting the website, they get the index function. If somebody's visiting the API, they get the API function. Let me see if I can make this bigger. So they're almost exactly the same. The only reason the API function is not the same is um, there's a little hack fix in there for an error that I get with the Google call that I haven't implemented on the API side yet. And I do some. This is where I strip uh, the error out and stuff like that. Otherwise, it's almost they're almost exactly the same. So if they're exactly the same, I can take all the lines that are the same, make them into a function. Um, and then I can have um, just call the function so there's no repeated code, comes back in and does the rendering in each one of those lines. As a matter of fact, one of the thoughts that I had was I could um, probably uh, fact refactor that out even more. Say you had um, the index URL goes in and the API goes to the same function index, but with an added variable, saying like API equals true. And then when I get to the bottom where it's rendering, I just check to see if API is true. And if it is, I then render to as a, uh, as a JSON or HTTP response as a JSON. And if it's false, then I render to a template with render to response. But I haven't quite gotten that far yet. That's just my thought. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Too much information? OK. Any, yes, sir. Uh, so, uh, my name's Peter. Peter, hi. <coughs> I, I saw you using gets in places that seem like might have posts or like, so there's no posting. I didn't do any posts because I also have a bookmarklet. And, you know, granted, my understanding of this stuff is still at a very, very shallow level. But if I wanted to use the bookmarklet, then the URL needed to be visible in the 
the, excuse me, the, the URL that needs to be checked for needed to be visible in the URL that's been submitted to the bookmark layer. And with a post, uh, my understanding is that that is not visible in the URL. With a post, it's all part of the request. Am I correct? You're nodding your head like I'm right. That makes me feel good. Thank you. So then I, I went with the get for two reasons. The first one is because it's only one call and no data is changed on the uh, service side. So then a get is appropriate. You know, if I wanted to have them be able to, like a CRUD, I wanted them to create or update or delete, um, then a post would be much more appropriate. But the second and more compelling reason as far as functionality was concerned, the practical reason was I wanted that bookmarklet to work, and so I decided to go with the get because I knew it would definitely work with the get. And the question there, in case you didn't hear it, was why did I use get instead of post? Any additional questions, sir? I'm not quite sure the original purpose of the app is there are all these websites. Right. So the, uh, the original purpose of the, web, of, the, of the app is, I'll, sh I'll demo it, indexed by. Oh, it's because you're in the pop-up. So a friend of mine runs um, a company, and he has a lot of clients that he creates blogs for. They do a lot of blogging. They want their stuff to be indexed right away. right? They want them to appear in Google right away. They're always hounding him. Is it in Google? Is it in Google? He's like, go to Google and type in the whole URL and see if it comes up in the results. So for example, if I wanted to, let's go to uh, here's djangoproject.com. And um, here's the web blog, and here's the latest entry, and here's the URL for the latest entry. Oh, okay. so any, particular page, any particular page, not a website, but a particular page. Oh, okay. So now I can come back here and put that in, click go, and I'll come back and say, yes, this page is indexed by Google, and it's cached, the cached URL. Now here's an example of an error. So I just put in a wrong URL, and it says the URL appears to be a broken link. If I had done that as an API call, that exact text would appear as, um, as, part of, as, a, as a JSON uh, data structure error, and that code would come. And that's all comes Django, batteries included. It's awesome. Any additional questions? Yes, sir. Do you have complaints for rate limiting? Uh, not right now. I mean, you, I get 35 hits a day. It's not that big a deal right now. If it ever becomes a problem, I'll knock on wood, thank my lucky stars, and start thinking about it. Oh, I'm sure it's going to skyrocket. You know, honestly, somebody once linked to us, and it made it like on the delicious popular link. So for one day, I got 1,000 hits that day. Server handled it OK. <laughs> so it's fine. The one thing was. Um, for documents that are recently indexed but not yet in the Google cache, the API returns a not indexed uh, error. It's a, it's, I guess it's a known bug. They've been comment on the Google search. The Google REST search API group, there's commenting about it, like Google knows about it and they're fixing it, but it hasn't been fixed yet. And for that reason, I had to put in a, a little screen scrape where if that's the result, it, is, it comes back as indexed false. Just do one more check, run the search on Google's website, screen scrape the results and look to see if the result comes up. So 
I hate to do that. Google doesn't like that either, but I just want the correct results to appear here. Does that help answer your question or, or any addition? I guess I should have demoed the, the website first, but hey, you know, here you are. Any additional questions? I think I'll turn it over to Sean. Thank you guys very much. I really appreciate it. This actually accidentally brings us to something I forgot to bring up. Uh, there was a security uh, vulnerability found in Django recently, both 1.0 and 1.1. Uh, so you want to update all your stuff, uh, like when you get home. It's not a data loss thing. It's a DOS or denial of service uh, vulnerability. Right. So basically, what happens is the regex they use for the email field validation. Um, it's possible to construct a string that will make that regex go crazy and just basically just run forever. So you just keep on sending requests to that and eventually your server will fall over and die. Um, hence a denial of service. So, um, huh? <laughs> I haven't seen what the actual string is. Read the patch. Yeah, read the patch and it might give you some insight. Um, but actually this has started a larger discussion on regexes and validation throughout. Uh, Django, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, but yeah, definitely go patch your stuff. Yep. Uh, on that topic, can I just have a security too? Ah. Um, if people were logging in with OpenID 0.5 or it would actually store an exclamation point as the password. So for anybody logging in with OpenID, you could just log in as that by putting in exclamation points. You can upgrade that too. <laughs> yeah, so uh, definitely <laughs> update Pinx. Uh, but that'll actually come up in my talk. Uh, something else while I'm here and randomly plugging things. Uh, Lauren, are we still looking for a dev or Huge? Yeah, so just since Jay, Huge is kind enough to host us and set us up and uh, whatnot, if anybody's looking for or knows somebody who uh, would want a Django dev position, talk to Lauren. I'll look you up. Else? <laughs> have job openings or yeah. There you go. So yeah, talk to the guys on the couch. Um, okay, so moving on. Uh, DjangoCon was I'm trying to remember now, two, three weeks ago. A month ago. Uh, month ago. Look at that. Time flies. Um, it was in Portland. It's pretty awesome. Um, a lot of kind of announcements were made, good talks were had, and uh, there were sprints. So kind of going over some of the stuff that happened there. Uh, oh, I'm gonna play nice. There we go. One of the things that was announced is this week in Django, the Django podcast is back under a new name called Django Dose. Uh, it's being done by Brian Rosner, Alex Gaynor, and uh, Eric Flo Florentano. Uh, they're doing a pretty good job. One of the things that's kind of nice is they broke out the tracking trunk and community catch-up bits into separate uh, kind of chunks so they can update them at separate different intervals and not necessarily have to have such a big long uh, thing to produce. Uh, they're also working on getting blog posts and screencasts together. Uh, so if you're interested in putting out that kind of contact, uh, content, get in touch with them and they'd be happy to have extra help on that. Uh, but otherwise, they've put out, I guess, three or four episodes so far, and they've been pretty good. It's a nice, easy way to keep up on stuff. You just throw it in your podcast list and be good. 
Um, they also did a kind of neat thing that I guess they're going to eventually talk about more. Uh, during DragonCon, where they did a kind of basically uh, real-time feed using comment of uh, the Twitter stream with things tagged with uh, DragonCon uh, during the conference, which was a pretty neat thing. They're probably I think at some point they said they're going to do a few blog posts on how they did it and stuff going into this, so that should be something to look forward to. Uh, something else that came up a lot, so one of the big themes in a lot of the talks at DragonCon is kind of stuff we should be looking at is coming down the pipe uh, as far as up-and-coming web technologies that Django should be looking to support. One of these is HTML5. Uh, there was a talk from one of the guys who does a world I work with something called Sprout Core, which is like a uh, HTML5 rich application framework, if you will. Uh, the mobile me stuff was implemented in it, uh, as well as a bunch of other things. Um, so it was kind of a there, there's a few things in this direction. One thing is looking at just uh, a lot of like the API support kind of stuff that we're looking at with Piston or stuff Hein talked about, trying to provide more help in Django for that kind of stuff. Uh, handling a larger volume of small requests. Uh, since in HTML5, when you start looking at what's running in the browser is actually a client in itself, making lots of tiny load requests. Uh, looking at what we can do to support that kind of load better as well as uh, just flat out output. Um, I'll talk about that when we get to the sprints a bit more. Um, something else that came up a lot was Comet. So I don't know how many of you, how many I guess people have heard of what Comet is in the context of web development. Cool, so not too many, but a few. So the idea with Comet is instead of doing, like if you want to have a real time update of stuff, instead of pulling the server every so often, you basically can maintain a connection to the server through the web browser and, and pull real-time stuff in more of a socket kind of context. Uh, the way it's actually implemented usually involves polling still and it's a bit muddy and it's a whole other talk in itself. Um, and right now is still a pretty hairy thing to implement. One of the awesome parts about it though is most of the better ways of implementing it are in Python and integrate moderately well with Django. Uh, so a lot of people are also starting to look at how Django fits into the comic picture, as well as how we can make that better. Um, yep. Or. I'm sorry. Say it again. To be honest, I'm not sure what. I'm not familiar with the continuation well, server idea. Okay, so something like Orbited or something like that. Yep. Yeah, so actually one of the talks uh, was from uh, Chris Weinstrup. Uh, it was one of the guys at um, GitHub. Actually, a few of the talks were from him. He kind of filled in for most of the people who didn't end up making it to the conference. Um, 
but so he gave a pretty good talk on Comet. And um, so what the main thing he talked about was, so him, Leah Culver, and Alex Gaynor for Django Dash did this app called Leafy Chat, which is basically a web-based IRC client um, that isn't using some kind of horrible Java applet. Um, and they do comment with that. And, and basically what they talked about is how they use a server called Orbited, which is a Python server that basically implements what Lauren's talking about. And through a combination of Orbited talking to Django in the back end for their basically data store and persistence and application logic, uh, basically built this application. Um, so they, they definitely, and then the, the short version of it was it sucked, there were a lot of pain points, but there's a lot less pain, th pain points doing this in the Python world than anywhere else right now. Um, so that might be a topic we look at for upcoming talks. Um, either if I end up figuring it out or if somebody wants to volunteer, which would be awesome. Um, so yeah, moving on from Comet, uh, the Django Pony was around a lot and did horrible things. Um, to actually a more salient point, a few of the talks were actually about um, or discussions also were around A, what belongs in Django proper, as well as how do we handle um, things coming into Django going forwards. And some of the things that came out of that were basically um, Django's main goal is basically just support web development, but not necessarily provide every single thing your application will need. Um, so with stuff like Comet or um, REST APIs or so on, generally it'll be best to have it out in a contrib app, and then eventually if it becomes a large enough need to pull it into Django proper eventually. Um, the main things that they're looking to do in Django proper right now is if there's anything in Django that causes problems or makes it hard for you to make it as a contrib app, any kind of new functionality, that's something that's, that they're looking to, to pull into Django proper. Um, also, a lot of kind, of kind of common sense, but not necessarily. So let's say there's something in Django, either a bug or a feature that you think should be in Django proper. Uh, you know, kind of the way you should go about getting that in. Uh, first, definitely discuss it. Uh, look for, first, look to see what's going on, both in the ticket tracker and on the Django dev message list. Uh, that's actually a lot easier in the last week, because Google finally fixed search on Google Groups, uh, which makes life so much better. Um, and assuming that there's nothing in there that basically says, we're never going to do this, and this is the reasons why, um, start a thread there, talk, bring it up, enumerate your idea, uh, and then also, if possible, bring code to the party. You know, a patch speaks a lot, a lot louder than saying, why well, I want this. So um, definitely both be sure to engage the community while you bring something, and then also, if you can, bring code, um, because that will get you much further along than just complaining about something. Uh, so something else that's been announced is kind of a change around how DjangoCon and EuroDjangoCon are going to be handled. So far, both events have been handled by basically Robert Lofthouse and his sheer will. <laughs> willpower uh, with his own company, uh, with a little bit of support from the Django Software Foundation and the Python Software Foundation, but mostly it's been Rob kind of breaking his back. 
So there's going to be a few changes. Euro Django Con next year is going to be a purely community-driven event. Uh, the main person going to be leading that up is going to be uh, Giannis Lydell. Uh, and then this next Django Con is going to be run this in a similar way as this year, but the one after that, Django Con US, is also going to be a community-driven event. Um, so if you have any ideas on what that actually means or have ways you'd like to contribute, uh, definitely get in touch with Robert and uh, Giannis, and I'm sure they'd be happy to talk to you about it. James, uh, James Right. Tauber. Yes. Also, instead, uh, James Tauber will be chairing. Uh, well, not chairing. Yeah, I guess that's chairing. Uh, DjangoCon next year. So Rob's going to take care of a lot of the, uh, you know, contracts, organization kind of stuff, and James is going to take care of a lot of the, uh, where's this person and why aren't they talking kind of problems. Um, so yeah, that's definitely out there. Uh, sprints. The sprints were pretty productive. Wow, that really doesn't come out too well on the projector. Let's look for a better picture. Yeah, yeah, the pizza is gone. Uh, there was much pizza consumed and beer. Uh, by the way, completely irrelevant. If you ever, if you like beer and you ever have a chance to go to Portland, go there because it's the land of magical cheap beer. You get like, I had a, uh, a cask aged beer for like $4 a pint. It's some kind of crazy magic. I don't know what that's about. But I was happy for it. Um, oh, by the way, and Django Khan's going to be in Portland again next year. So that makes a lot of stuff easier. Um, so during the sprints, uh, there was a lot of kind of catching up. So as, as you guys probably noticed, uh, Django 1.1 was a little late according to the, the schedule that they were going to try and follow after Django 1.0. Uh, so, they figured out a new date for Django 1.2. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. I want to say it's in February or March. Yeah, it sounds right. And they're changing the process a little bit in that there's no longer, so in, in 1.01, they had a kind of the classified features going into it as like must have, would likes, if it's done, and sure, in Fantasyland. Uh, there's no longer any must haves. Anything that's not ready by feature, excuse me, feature freeze, is getting pushed. Um, so this way we can get into a much better rhythm and not necessarily get so killed if a core dev ends up having a lot of work because you know he has to pay the bills, uh, which is what happened with 1.1. Uh, so some of the stuff that was worked on during the sprints and is lined up as possibilities for 1.2 include. Um, Better support for outputting HTML and HTML5 compatible uh, HTML uh, that's being pushed forward by Simon Wilson. Something along similar lines is built in um, logging to Django to kind of wrap the Python standard logger and make that a bit less painful. Uh, i trying to remember what else is in there. I'm actually working on a patch to make it easier to do raw SQL queries and get back uh, model instances. Um, there's also be work being done. Uh, Alex Gaynor is doing multi-DB support and a refactor of how many to many are handled. Um, short version of that, there's apparently some nastiness in hard-coded SQL to get that done right now, so he's making that a bit nicer. Um, and multi-DB support's pretty nice. Um, trying to remember if there was anything else big coming in 1.2. Um, some other stuff that wasn't necessarily directly Django that happened during the sprints. Oh, 
Pinax uh, made a new release that addresses a lot of the packaging issues they were having. Uh, they're much more leveraging PIP and VirtualM uh, to do their thing. Um, they're, and they also enumerate a lot of their roadmap for getting to 1.0 for Pinax. Uh, for anybody, just curious, does anybody not know what Pinax is before I keep talking about this? Okay, cool. Yeah, so Pinax is just like a, you know, it's a platform for making a community site. Uh, if you want to have a community site that, you know, so, or something that's a community site plus awesome, this lets you just create the awesome and not have to spend time creating the community site part. Um, I think they're also, they're also working on some stuff to make it not just a community site. Right. Versions of like, this is what you need, you need a package tracker. Right. Need. Right. So, so they basically take a bunch of the Django reusable apps and make sure that they integrate with each other well uh, and, and are packaged appropriately, which is shockingly uncommon sometimes. Um, so a lot of the work in this refactor um, helps get away from having doing stuff with crazy SVN externals and, and kind of kind of a nasty way of dealing with stuff and doing it in a lot nicer way using PIP. Um, PIP is kind of like a replacement for easy install that lets you both talk to the PyPy as well as uh, directly giving paths to SVN, Git, and Mercurial repositories. Um, so it lets you work with more recent code sometimes. Um, their roadmap looks like, uh, I think, so they just made a .7 release. They're going to make a .8 release because to make .7 happen, they had to drop a lot of their translation stuff, both because of bugs in Django and just time. So point eight is going to bring back that translation stuff. Uh, then they're looking at doing a point nine uh, with a few more features, and then one point zero. And they're they're look, taking a very similar approach to Django. And of course, it goes to sleep. Django did um, in regard to one point zero, and that <clears throat> until they reach one point zero, they're going to be changing the world a lot. But once they get to one point zero, they're going to do everything they can to remain API stable until they do a next major release. Um, so definitely keep an eye on those guys. Uh, let's see if going on. So yeah, that was an axe. Uh, so the videos aren't posted yet, but they when they are posted, they'll be up at djangocon.blip.tv. Um, hopefully it should be soon. It helps that they had um, Carl, I don't remember his last name, but the guy who does the all the AV stuff at PyCon um, was... The PSF was generous enough to lend him and all their equipment to DjangoCon to uh, take care of that for us. So that will be posted hopefully sometime soon. Um, similarly, all, most of the slides for talks are up on the DjangoCon wiki, which can be found at djangocon.pbworks.com. Um, and most of them, it's pretty good. Some of the talks are kind of like mine in that the slides are kind of useless. Uh, but others have better enumerated slides. So, uh, just flicker credits. So I think that was most of the big stuff that happened. If anybody has any questions or wants to chip in anything that I forgot, feel free. Um, otherwise, I think we're going to probably end a little bit early, but I think from the look of the crab, we're probably happy for that. I think it's the time of year where everybody's a little tired. <laughs> so just uh, real quick, sure. I uh, came across a really cool Python package this week called Date utils, which is like one of the greatest things ever. You have to do with dates. 
yes. has something called our rule, which is if you have to deal with any sort of calendar recurrence, like this happens on the third Wednesday of every second month from now until 2010, like it can do that. Um, it's pretty awesome. And then it also has relative delta, which is if you say I have this date and I want this date in one month, it's actually surprisingly difficult to do with just regular time deltas because um, some months are four weeks, some months are five weeks, and so on. Um, so that just handles that really well. And it's really it's great. Yeah. It's called the date, you date you Yeah, I, I would definitely plus one that there. It's it's some awesome magic because date math sucks, <laughs> and they solved that already. Uh, similarly, PyTZ is if you have to do anything remotely involved with time zones, it's going to be your friend um, because the built-in time zone handling is really really broken. 